This morning, I want to talk to you about this subject and the importance of being willing to share your faith, being willing to invite a friend into the, uh, into the Christian life, the gospel that you know. It was Robert Murray McShane that said this, that the Christian should be the person that makes it easy for others to follow God. That the Christian should be the type of person that lives their life in such a way that it just kind of makes people around him or her, it just makes it easy for them to follow God. And, and the same can be true as well, that depending on how you and I lived our life, we can make it difficult for other people to follow God. And so there's a weight, what, what Paul says uh, in the Christian life, there is a weight on believers that we are ambassadors of his, we are representatives of his, and how we share our faith, how we live our life, has great importance. Uh, uh, James Cameron, the director of Avatar, wrote this about, about the powerful things that take place in movie theaters and some things that just naturally happen. And he writes this and he says, when people have an experience that's very powerful in the movie theater, they just naturally want to go and show it and share it. They want to grab their friend and bring them so that they can enjoy it also. They want to be the person to bring the news uh, into their life that is something worth having in their life. James Cameron understands the power of a movie theater, the power of picture, to where when something happens in that theater that's very emotional, it's just natural for per people to want to get their friends, recommend the movie, or take them and share the good news. The same should be true of us on the spiritual realm in the Christian life. That we should understand that part of our responsibility is, part of being a believer is, helping people to follow Christ. Four principles that I just want to give you this morning that just come out really over a lifetime, but over a ministry of, of just looking at this subject. And the first thing is this, that if you're going to invite your friends, you're going to have to learn to be genuine. In other words, you're going to have to be transparent. You're going to have to be real. I mean, it is not attractive when you, when you look at that person that acts like they have it all together when they don't. Like they never struggle with anything in their life. They never have fear. They never deal with the same things you deal with. Listen, let me tell you something. The attractiveness of following Christ, the attractiveness of your faith is living a real, transparent life. You see, Paul was able to do that because Paul knew who he was in Christ. Paul knew what he had been, given for, uh, what he had been forgiven for. And as a result of that, Paul lived this life. He was just just genuine. He was just transparent. Verse 11 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, and as a result, we persuade others. In other words, we share our faith. We talk about following Christ. We share that good news that we've experienced. But we are also known to God. In other words, God knows who I am. And God knows my life. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. In other words, Paul was this type of guy that says, You know what? I am what I am. And I'm comfortable in my own skin. And as a result of that, I'm not going to try to be a phony, and I'm not going to try to be someone I'm not. That is not attractive, right? We are sick and tired of religious phonies. The attractiveness is when you can come up against someone that is just transparent and just real about their faith and about their struggles and about even about their difficulties. And Paul was this type of guy. They didn't try to conceal his mistakes. See, so many times Christians have this habit. They just want to kind of hide or conceal their mistakes because they're embarrassed by them. But Paul, man, Paul got this, and Paul understood. When he understood what Christ had forgiven him for, he could live life differently. In other words, Christians, we don't go around with this pious attitude that we're just better than everybody else. That we understand that we're working out, listen, we're working out our salvation. And Paul says, as a result of that, 
I don't try to cover up. What I am is obviously plain to God. He sees all. And what I am is plain to you. In fact, is Paul would refer to himself and he'd say, you know what? Nobody has sinned more than me. He said, I, I'm the chief among sinners. And Paul writes about a time in his life that was just a struggle. And he says, and you know what? There was a time in my life, and sometimes I still struggle with it, what he said, but there was a time in my life that I knew the good that I wanted to do. And I wanted to do that good so bad. And I ended up doing the very thing that I said I wasn't going to do. I ended up doing, living out some things that I said. And then those, those things, that, some of those bad things that I said that I would never do again. And I made commitments. And I said, I'll never. And I ended up doing them. He said, I found myself powerless. I found myself struggling. Wanting to do the good and couldn't do it. And not wanting to do some of the things. And I ended up doing it. And there was, this, there was this attractiveness about Paul because his life was authentic. And it was irresistible when people looked. And that's why in verse 14 he says, It is Christ's love that compels us. That word compel in the Greek means master over. And so what Paul was saying, that Christ's love masters over us because it is like a master in his life and it masters over us to do good. It masters over us to grow in him. It masters over us to try to love differently and treat people differently. It masters over us to talk to our friends and talk to relationships about who Christ is and what he has done in our life. And that's why we live life in such a way. We live life in such a way, understanding that we're to help others follow Christ as well. Verse 12, he goes on. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. In other words, Paul was saying, you know what? I am not, this is not a religion to me. This is not, this is not some religious ritual you do that I just, I just want you to look into my life and know that I'm moral and all that. Paul said, it's not the externals. It is what is in the heart. And he says, some of us, and we all need someone that we can look, in, look up to and inspire to be like or follow. And he goes on, verse 12, and he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. In other words, he was just saying, understand that you have a witness. And you can either make it easy for people to follow God, or you can make it difficult for, pe for people to follow God, depending on how you live your life. And so what Paul is saying, when you're with lost people, when you're a people, with people far away from God, understand and keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as, as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and they glorify God on the day of salvation. The first thing is this. If we're going to invite our friends, if we're going to have influence, we just have to be real and we just have to be genuine. The second thing is this. We have to be convinced of the gospel. Listen, if you are not convinced of the gospel... If you are not convinced of what Scripture teaches, that if, if someone dies without Christ, without a relationship with Him, that they will spend eternity separated from Him, then you will never share your faith. And Paul says we've got to understand and we've got to be convinced of the gospel. Verse 14, for the love of Christ, and here we go again, masters over us. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. So here we go. He starts talking about the gospel. And he just says that one has died for all. In other words, that Jesus Christ came, God incarnate, God in the flesh, the Messiah, the promised one. And God came and visited this earth. And he lived a sinful, perfect life. And he went to the cross and he stretched out his arms and he died. And the scripture says that he died for all. And he says, and therefore, 
All have died. Now listen, this is what gave Paul security in his life. This is what gave Paul the security to live an authentic life in a real life, to understand what his life is plain to God and it can be plain to others. This is what gave him the confidence because when he says, and, and he came and died for all, and as a, result of, as a result of that, therefore all have died, what Paul was saying was this, when I met Christ, all of my sins died. All of the junk and the stuff of the past, all of the stuff that I regretted, all of the stuff that I carried guilt over in my past, what he has said, it is gone. I am free. It is totally and completely forgiven. Listen, let me tell you something. When you are in Christ, you are totally and completely forgiven. You are perfect in him. You are deeply loved. Had a lady after the Saturday night service came up to me and she was an elderly lady, and she came up to me, and she said, I've been carrying this sin, and she told me what it was, and she said, I've been carrying this sin for almost life, and some people have told me that because of that sin, that I will not be able to go to heaven. And said, I don't know who told you that, but they're like, wrong. Because my Bible tells me that he died for all of our sins. When Christ died on the cross, I'm telling you, he died for every one of your sins. Oh, and your sins died on that day. Verse 15, and he died for, he died for all, that those who might live no longer live. So here we go, no longer live for ourselves. When we come into the kingdom of God, when we come in to, to being a believer, it is not all about us. So many people want to make it about us. We no longer live for ourselves. But for him who, who for their sake died and was raised, here a while back, it was a couple of years, a few years back, and I, well, I don't really remember when, just a while back. And Brett Hume, uh, an analyst for Fox News, it was because of a national tragedy. I don't remember what the tragedy was, and, but it was a national tragedy, and, and Brett Hume was on site, and, and all of a sudden he just he went off record, uh, he went off script, if you will, and he said a little bit about his faith. He shared his faith. And as a result of that, there was this huge criticism in the country and this huge backlash for how would you mix religion with reporting and all of that other stuff that goes on. And so Britt Hume had to make a statement. Here's the statement that he said, talking about sharing his faith. He says, you know what? I ought to be willing to do that. I don't want to practice my faith that I'm afraid to proclaim. I don't want to be one of those closet Christians I am not going to stand on the street corner with a megaphone. My principal responsibility at Fox News isn't to proselytize. But occasionally, a mention of faith seems to be appropriate. And when those occasions come, I'll do it. I'll stand up. Listen, I mean, we live in a world and we live in a time that it's totally good if you talk about your faith, as long as you don't mention Jesus, right? As long as you talk about God, as long as you talk about a higher power, if you talk about all those other things and vague and veiled references, then everybody's good with that. But once you focus in and once you say the name of Jesus and all of this pushback and all this criticism comes. And so we have to be, and we have to be willing to uh, share our faith. The third thing is this, that if you're going to share your faith, if you're going to invite your friends, you have to begin to see life with a spiritual perspective. In other words, you don't look just on the earthly realm, but you look on the heavenly realm, and you understand, and you're able to see things different in relationships and people that are around you. Paul goes on in verse 16 and says, For now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, 
We regard him thus no longer. You see, Apostle Paul was, I'm telling you, he was the most type A personality you would ever meet. He was driven. He had goals. Um, he sometimes was so driven, he appeared to be harsh. He appeared to be unloving. He appeared to be uncaring. And so the Apostle Paul had this goal to be a part of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was a very highly respectable group. It was like our, well, it was like our Supreme Court of today. It was some of the most religious guys. It was some of the most moral guys. Uh, it was some of the most respectful guys. And they would, they would have these huge rulings. And so they were very important. And so Paul was like the Hebrew of Hebrews, and he developed a resume uh, to get there. He did everything he could to get there. Then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene. And so they developed this, what, what the scripture called the way, and people began to follow Jesus. And so all of a sudden, Paul looked at that as a threat to his, his goals and to his values and his priorities of life. So what did Paul do? He began to persecute Christians. He wanted to do everything he could to stamp out Jesus and stamp out Christianity. So he would go into the local churches, and, and he, would get, he would get the letters, the roles, and that's why church membership is biblical even today. And he would get the letters, and he would find out who was a member of that church. And then he would hunt them down. He would go into their homes, and he would drag them out of their homes. He would persecute them. He would martyr some of them. And then all of a sudden, Paul has this Damascus Road experience with Jesus in the bright light, and he, he accepts Christ, and all of a sudden, everything changed. It was a game changer for him. His priorities changed. He no longer desired to be part of the Sanhedrin. He no longer desired all that religious stuff. And all of a sudden, it was such a game, game changer for him. His values began to change. His priorities began to change, and his life changed radically because of that day. And that's why he writes in Philippians 3, 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, all, those, all that junk and that stuff and the resume, all that I had accomplished, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ because all of a sudden he had this spiritual perspective in life. And if we're going to influence people for the Lord, we've got to begin to look at them spiritually. We've got to, we've got to understand the gospel. And we've got to understand... When people meet Christ, there's a changed life. It was so in Paul's life. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone's an in Christ, guess what? He is a new creation. Everyone needs a fresh start. Everyone needs a mulligan. Everyone needs a do-over, right? And he just simply says, as a new creation, the old, the old sins... The old life, it is done. It is gone. And behold, the new has come. How do you see your relationships around you? How do you see your friends around you? Do you see them in the flesh? Do you see them as a, from an earthly perspective? Or do you see it as a spiritual perspective? The fourth and the last thing that if we're going to share our faith, if we're going to invite our friends, the fourth thing is this, is we've got to understand the urgency. There is no one in this room guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know if we'll have another chance. Life is brief and life is short. And you understand this and you just, you, you just see the urgency in Paul's life. He goes on, verse 20, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, that's a crazy word to use for, for Christians and followers of Christ. He says that we're ambassadors of Christ. We have ambassadors today, right? They had ambassadors in their culture. And so a few things that makes up an ambassador. The first thing is this. Ambassadors are commissioned for a special assignment. They're given a task. They're given an assignment. We've been given an assignment. We've been given an assignment to spread the gospel, to share with our friends, to share with our family 
family. And so an ambassador is a person that has a special assignment. The second thing about an ambassador is this. An ambassador represents the sender. I mean, we have ambassadors all over, the, all over the world, right? And they're in countries that is not their home. This is their home, and they're in other countries. And so, and so what do they do? They represent. Who do they represent? They represent the President of the United States of America, and they re- represent us. They are a representative of us, even though they're in a foreign land, the same as we are. So they're a special assignment, uh, uh, and they have authority. The third thing is this. They exercise authority over a sender. So they have a special assignment. They represent us, and then they have authority. And so Paul goes on, verse 20, God is making his, God is making his appeal through us. Listen, God is appealing to your friends and to your family who do not know Christ through you, or he would like to. God wants to reach your friends, and God wants to reach your family that are far away from God. And how does he do that? Through you, because you're an ambassador of Christ. You're an ambassador of Christ in your family. You're an ambassador of Christ in your community. You're an ambassador of Christ in your workplace, your school. And he says, we implore you. So all of a sudden, you see, like Paul is like begging on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God, to accept him, and to have this new life. For our sake, he made him to be, be, made him to be sin who knew no sin. So he's talking about Jesus. So that in him we might become, what? The righteousness of God. In Christ, you're totally and completely forgiven. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, receive that grace and then be willing to share it. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day, what? Now is a day of your salvation. Now is the day for you to accept. And we get the sense of urgency in Paul's life that he keeps saying, I implore you, I beg you, I urge you. Listen, a little bit about my testimony just real quickly. We don't have time for me to share my whole testimony because it is a total wreck. But in 1976, remember I told you that, that, that I wasn't raised in a, in, a, in, a, in a religious family at all. And so I can just remember just a handful of times going to church uh, but they, but my parents, of course, wanted all of us kids to get to go to heaven and that whole deal. And so in 1976, I'm 16 years old. I'm in my teenage years. And so they thought maybe that would help. And so, uh, so my parents took us to, a, to like a little small Baptist church in our area. And so much different than this church, right? I mean, we sat in pews. I mean, I don't know if any of you grew up in that, but that's just a weird word to me, just a pew. But we sat in pews. They were uncomfortable. See, we didn't get theater seats with cup holders and that whole deal. We, we couldn't even bring something to drink in the service at all. That was, like, irreverent. And so, so we went to this church with the whole goal of me accepting Christ, my sister. And so, and so I knew what was at stake. I knew the pressure, and I got that whole deal, even though we weren't a very religious family. And so we went. The pastor preached. The, you know, he did some music, that whole deal. And the, the way that you became a Christian in that culture was they stood sang a song, usually just as I am, and uh, the pastor said, if anybody want to accept Christ, you know, come on down like that, and so I, I did, and so I got up, and I went down, and I, I came down and, and shook the pastor's hand. He says, what are you here for? And I told him to accept Christ. He said, praise God, and, and so then I, I got moved from a back pew to a front pew because when you accept Christ in, in that church, you get to sit on the, front, the first pew now, and so I went and sat on a, a, a front pew, and then a, a deacon came, and you know, and a, 
Anyway, a deacon came and sat down next to me, and he had a clipboard, and so now we got to do the paperwork. And he started asking me my name and, and address and stuff like this. we got to get a record of it. And so he did that whole deal. He said, what are you doing? I'm here to accept Christ. He said, great. You want to be baptized? I said, yes, I do. He says, how about next Sunday? I said, I'll do that. No class, no ex nothing like that. And so I, I got baptized with my sister the next week because why? We were going to seal the deal because it was a sacrament. It was, it was not how you... It's, it's so, but here's the deal. My life did not change. I was still doing the same junk and stuff on Friday and Saturday night that I did before I walked the aisle. See, nothing changed in my life. Fact is, I didn't go back to church for four years because why? Christianity is about salvation. Christianity, not about this life. Christianity, about where, you, where, you, where you're going to spend eternity. It's not about... It's a, listen, I didn't have a desire to, to read His Word. I didn't have a desire to go to church. I didn't have a desire to serve. I didn't, I didn't have a desire to change anything in my life. Four years later, my life, I'm telling you, fell apart. And it's a, it was just a horrible, horrible period in my life. And I walked into a church, and I understood I'd never met Christ just religion that if somehow I can do more good stuff than bad stuff then guess what I get to go to heaven and I met him that day everything changed for me I had, I had a desire to read his word I had a desire to serve him I had a desire to start changing some of my priorities and some of my goals and listen I and it's, it's, it's still a change right I'm still working out my salvation along with you. And all of a sudden, when I met Christ, I started thinking about my best friend. Phil and I met in the fourth grade. Uh, Phil and I met, I mean, Phil was like in the fourth grade, he was like a man's man. I mean, in, in the fourth grade, Phil could, could grow and did. He grew a full mustache and sideburns. He was cool. <laughs> And Phil was bigger than me, but I was faster than Phil. And so, you know, so in the fourth grade after lunch, we'd always go to the gym, you know, and just kind of hang out. And so I went to the gym, and so I'd love to run up to Phil, sucker punch him, and then run. And because I knew I could out, outrun him, and so he never could catch me. He'd run to the bell ring, go to class. So this went on for a few days, and then Phil got tired of this. And so, so one day I walked into the gym, and I swung at him. And he was ready for me, and he just grabbed my arm, and he slung me around and threw me up against the brick wall. Then he started, he started body blocking me until he pushed, like, every ounce of air out of my lungs. And so I slithered, you know, down the wall, and Phil's laughing, everybody's looking. And I was so thankful when Coach Kirby showed up. And so I'll never forget Coach Kirby. And he showed up, and he looked at me, and I'm like, Coach. And he goes, Jones, you deserve every bit of that. Uh, uh, and so, you know what, I decided, you know what, Phil and I need to become friends. Because this one, well, now every day he was doing that to me instead of me punching him. And so we built, the, we built this relationship and this friendship. And, I mean, we did everything together. We, we went through middle school together, junior high school, high school. We partied together. We dated together. We did everything together. And all of a sudden, I thought, when I met Christ, I thought of Phil. And I picked up the phone, and I called Phil, and I said, Phil, um, you know, why don't we, you want to come down to Houston? I'm in Houston. He's in Tyler. You want to, you know, you know, go deer hunting with me? He says, love to, because we hunted together. 
So Phil drove down to Houston. We left Houston. We went to San Antonio. My dad had some land, a bunch of land outside of Holotus Mandera in West Texas. And so and my express goal was to tell Phil about what Christ had done in my life. And so we, we got to where we deer hunt. Now, listen, this story is going to bother some of you people from Colorado because we hunt much differently in Texas than you do here. And so I promise you we love our animals. We think they taste delicious. And so, uh, so, so, so in Texas, it's legal to feed for deer. Now, this is going to, I'm telling you, it's going to bother you. Uh, but this is just, this is the truth. And so we got there, and so I set our feeder off. You see what you did? You had this corn feeder for deer. Totally, totally legal. Fact is, it's encouraged. And so you put corn in this electric feeder. You set the timer, and so you set the timer a time that is convenient with you. So mine was two o'clock in the afternoon. I am not a morning person. Why should you ever get up early to fish or, or shoot something? I mean, that's crazy. And so I set the feeder at two o'clock in the afternoon. And Seville, we're going to have Phil, we're going to have breakfast. We're going to have lunch, and we'll get out there. So we get out there, we're sitting in the deer blind. And so, and I'm nervous, and because I know I got to. So I, I look over, and I say, Hey, Phil. We're sitting side by side on this bench, and, and the deer aren't there yet because the feeder's not going off yet. And I said, Phil, i got to tell you something. Jesus Christ totally changed my life. And I don't want to leave this world without you. I don't want to spend eternity. And so, Phil, I'm at Christ. He is radically, he says, I can already tell there's a change in you. And so I said, can I share with you what happened? He said, yeah. And so I, I, just, I shared the gospel. I didn't really know how. I wasn't really that good at it. And so I just got to the point. It was kind of awkward. And I go, so how about it, Phil? You want to you accept Christ? And then. I picked up my Marlin 3030, it's lever action, and I chambered around. Just jeez, jeez. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that helps in sharing your faith. <laughs> Telling you. How about it? No pressure. No pressure. And Phil said, Yeah, and then you know what? I, I really I didn't even know what to do next. Never been trained. I'm like, really? He goes, Yeah, I do. And so I got a 30-30 in one hand. He has a 30-06 in his hand. Didn't know what to do, so I just put my arm around him. He put his arm around me. And, and so I said, I'll lead you in this prayer. And I prayed, and he prayed, and, and he accepted Christ. And then we, we said, in Jesus' name, amen. Then we looked up and shot some deer. And so, <laughs> I mean, that's a true story. And I mean, that's how he met Christ. And here, man, I'm telling you, he still thanks me to this day. I've told you the story that my dad's dealing with terminal cancer. And I'm here in Colorado, and he's here in Houston, Texas. Phil is still a great friend to this day. He still thanks me to this day. Phil drove from Tyler, Texas to Houston, Texas, four and a half hours. And he sat with my dad for two hours. Because he is my friend. And my dad called me and said, you know, Phil just showed up, and he just like sat with me. And he told me that he still thanks you of this day for sharing your faith. He has like his whole family is in church. He raised a family in church, and he would not have known if it had not have been for you. And here's what I need you to do. Here's what I need you to be willing to do. I need you to be willing to invite a friend to the Easter service. I need you to see your friends, your relationships from a spiritual perspective. 
One of my biggest concerns for our church, listen, I'm telling you, is not the growth, is not the staff, is not the money, is not the, not the buildings. It is not any of that. It comes out of a burden that I've carried ever since we planted this church that this church would get so large and so successful and so comfortable that we would care only about ourselves, that we would turn inward and no longer look outward to a community that needs Christ, that a community that needs a change. See, there's a gravitational pull of every local church, and the gravitational pull is this, is to turn inward and be more worried about who you're going to keep than who you're going to reach. Listen, let me tell you something. Do you know when a church dies? you know when a church declines? Is when that church is more worried about keeping than reaching. When that church is more concerned about just making everybody comfortable and everybody happy and just hanging on to the people, that's when a church dies, and really that's when an organization dies. And I need you to be willing to invite people. Listen, we started this church because we believe what Jesus taught about the local church. And listen, I'll, just, I'll be honest with you. We need you to invite people, not because we need more people in this church, right? We're having trouble finding the seats for the people we got. We need you to invite people because people need Christ. And it is not about us. The danger, I'm telling you, the danger comes in a church when they turn inward and they no longer look to the community. Every one of us in this room have friends in our circle that do not know Christ, who may have walked away from church because of a bad experience or a difficult deal, who have been burnt or hurt or angry. And one day you're going to be bold enough to invite them and they're going to be so thankful Early in Jesus' ministry, he's walking and he sees this guy, Philip. And so he says, hey, Philip, he says, why don't you follow me? And Philip says, well, wait a minute, I, I need to invite my, my friend. And Jesus didn't look at him and says, well, no friends allowed. Don't go invite your friend. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, you go get your friend, you bring him back. So, so Philip brings Nathaniel. He's like his best friend. So interesting, John chapter 1, verse 45. So Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him who, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, that's probably a downer for Philip. So Nathanael looks at him and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can any, and listen, and Philip didn't become an instant expert in, in histor, history, Right? Well, actually, there are some good people in Nazareth, and there's some bad people. He didn't try to justify that. He didn't try to explain it away. He didn't, he, you know what? He says, you know what? He didn't even pretend to be an expert. See, you, you, don't, you don't have to have all the answers. You know what Philip did? Philip just simply says, well, I don't know about that whole Nazareth deal. Why don't you just come and see? Why don't you just come and see for your, yourself? It's like when you invite someone to church, you know? Someone may say, hey, does anything good come out of Texas? Isn't Fellowship of the Rockies one of those large churches? I don't like large churches. I mean, I, mean, you, you, I, I, I want to go to a church where you get to know everybody, you can kind of know the pastor, and you can kind of all hang out together, even though they may not go to church, but they say, hey, church to me is a church where you get to know everybody. You, get to, you know what? I, I don't know that I like that pastor. I heard that pastor say one time something that I totally disagreed with. You know what? That pastor, he, he doesn't even look like a pastor. He doesn't act like a pastor. He doesn't dress like a pastor. I, I don't know about that church. I mean, they don't even meet in a church. That's crazy, right? In case you don't know this, they meet in a theater. 
I need a church that meets in a church. I need stained glass windows. I need some robes. I need it to be reverent. I mean, I hear they have problems with seats, and they run out of seats, and sometimes you've got to be an overflow, and you've got to watch the services from a, from a TV. I hear they're way too loud. I need something that's quiet. I need something that's reverent. And then what are they doing having a service in the event center on Easter? That's crazy. You know what? You don't have to defend any of that. You don't have to answer that. You know what you do? You say, hey, come and see. Come and see. Some of you in this room, you came with all, all kinds of fears and concerns when you came for the very first time, right? And that's why you sat on the back row. So that if we started handling snakes and doing something weird, you could get out. <laughs> that's right, right? I mean, it takes a lot of you time to move up kind of to the front. And some of you came here and you tried to be resistant. You tried to say, eh, it's not going to move me, not going to move me. And then something happened. You know what happened is what Jesus, Jesus says when we, all move, when we all get together and the presence of God shows up. And when we worship and his presence shows up and, and then something happens to hearts. And when they experience our culture and they experience him, that they begin to change. We're, See, we're a type of church that you can invite those that are far away from him, and one day you're going to be bold with your invitation. And I need you to partner with us. We've already partnered with you. See, a, a partnership takes two. And we need you to be willing to invite. We need you to be willing to serve. We need you to be willing to give. I'm telling you, the most important thing that you can be a part of, other than raising your children and raising your grandchildren, is a local church because Jesus Christ died for the local church. The church truly is the only thing that will reach into the fabric and the heart of a community and change it. And you have the opportunity to be, be a part of something that God is doing in this church, and I'm telling you what, in this city, and I'm telling you what, we are on mission, and we are not quitting, and we are not giving up. And so we have provided for you Be My Guest cards that are out in the the foyer and you can grab those and that can help you but I want you to see something on the video and here in just a second that happened in 2009 in 2009 we had a lot of people that had met Christ and for whatever reason they had a hard time taking the next step and following him in obedience to baptism and so we just decided you know what we'll be bold and we'll do an impromptu baptism weekend and just see what God would do none of us knew what to expect watch this telling you the majority of those people baptized they were baptized because a friend invited them it was a pretty huge deal in this room when you had friends knowing that I was a part of that you see when you invite and when you serve and when you give you share in what God is doing here when you partner with us you share in what he's doing in Pueblo Colorado and I am inviting you and I am encouraging you and I'm leading you to invite your friends to Easter Sunday. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?